and we're live. Welcome back, purgers. Ooh, I've missed saying that. Right? It is so nice to be back in the purge universe. We Did are- we ever really leave, though? No, absolutely not. It's 2019. We're like in the thick of it. Uh, we are the pop culture theologians, and we are here to break down season two of The Purge. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Uh, you can find us. John, where can we find this podcast? Uh, Stitcher, iTunes. SoundCloud, Spotify. Spotify. You can find all those links and all the information on the Pop Culture Theologians on Twitter and Facebook. John, how do we, how do we follow you on Twitter? You can follow me at jerickson85. So basic, babe. Basic. Still so basic. Uh, everyone, you can follow me at I am the men who can. Uh, we live tweet the episodes usually unless we are traveling for work, uh, but usually one of us is live tweeting the episodes. Um, we are hosted at the Engage Gaze website, engagegaze.com. Uh, thank you for hosting us. And then also, if you want to just follow the Pop Culture Theologians, it's Pop Theolog- right? Pop Theologians on Twitter. Yep, at Pop Theologians. Awesome. So we are super excited to cover season two. Uh, the Purge has a very special place in our heart because we started our podcast with season one of The Purge. And it will always be kind of like our home base. Uh, don't you feel that way, John? Yeah, it's always where we go to, you know, really find ourselves. It's where I go to practice self-care. <laughs> so the reason we started with The Purge was I'm the horror junkie, and you'll discover that through the season, of our dynamic duo. John is our chicken shit, and we love him for it, but he's not a horror fan. Mm-mm. But we're we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, but we, our first season, we had talked about wanting to cover shows and television that had impact but also kind of social commentary and I had told John that I thought that the quad of purge films had done a beautiful job of breaking down like racial equity gender disparities um the trauma of like cults like the government abuse surveillance gun violence toxic masculinity you name it the purge has covered it And so I was really excited. And John was like, you know what? I am excited to jump on board. I've never seen these films. I've, you know, the show had not premiered and we kind of took a risk and it's been awesome. Like we're one of the very few podcasts that cover the show. Um, We love it and are so excited that you are here with us for season two. Um, I'm so excited. I am so excited too. And it was a really good episode. It was a very good episode. And if you haven't seen season one, y'all, it is, it is fire. It is so good. Follow, you know, you can find all of our old episodes if you're going to start off on season one. I think it's important to start there because there's a lot of foundational stuff there. Um, so we invite you to kind of go back and look at some of our old episodes. Um, we invite you to look at all of our old episodes. We've covered everything from The Handmaid's Tale to Harry Potter to Game of Thrones. Uh, so... So yeah, we're very excited to be here. One of the things we do every Purge episode is because we believe that the Purge is social commentary, um, we try to do a couple small little segments. One is our What the Fucks of the Week, where we cover some strange shit that's happening in the world and how we feel about it. 
And second is in the episode, we will kind of identify our purges of the week based off of who's earned a purge this week. Um, so similar to Andy Cohen on Bravo's, um, what is it, Jackhole of the Week? Yep. Yep, that's that's who we mimic. Uh, much love for, for Bravo. So, uh, John, how about we go through our what the fucks of the week? Oh, uh, okay. Well, let's start out with the craziest video on the internet. This video that Trump... Re, I don't think he retweeted it or he's not defending it, but basically showing him killing every mainstream media outlet, <laughs> celebrities, women, children. And it's a reenactment of him in the Kingsman scene, just blowing up and murdering people. And of course we live in a purge like universe. So this is completely normal and people talk about it and then they move on because of course our president is mentally ill and does something crazy every two seconds. I mean, it's really difficult to keep up with the chaos when literally every half a day something new and bananas happens with this administration that's the point of chaos though that is the point of chaos that's chaos theory you throw enough shit at people they stop to a certain extent you become numb to it yeah because it's like the only way to self-protect and practice self-care is for me not to engage in this so um and people have said like that the video is just a video um it has no meaning and I think there's a lot of parallels there to uh, discussions that everyone's having right now about the Joker film. Um, I know, John, you watched it in movie theaters. My brother and my husband did as well. I did not. I will watch it when I can watch it for free and not give it some dollars. But I felt strongly that, you know, while I will defend its right to exist with every fiber of my being, I don't want to give dollars to what's potentially promoting violence from a very kind of incel theology um and i i think it's interesting to kind of watch this trump video and watch the same people who were like the joker deserves to do whatever and i'm like yeah like 100 percent. i don't believe in censorship but it's interesting that you think this is violent and that this could incite violence but it was outrageous particularly for female film critics to be like the reason dudes don't think this movie's dangerous is because you're not the ones targeted Mm -hmm. right like for so many of us women like um, if you have, like, if you haven't met an incel type dude, like Mazel, I'm so jealous. I have, like, I have, I know them, they're terrifying. And, um, and it's a growing movement in white supremacy and in the alt-right. Uh, it's everything under the guise of like protecting traditional masculinity and all this stuff. But like, as like the one, like as a, as a liberal Hispanic woman, like I'm definitely on the hit list. So, so it's been interesting watching the discussion around the Trump video and being like, wait, where was this when some of us were like, yo, the, the Jokers like could incite violence. Uh, so interesting to me, but, but what do I know? What do you know? You're just going to be the person that's ended up being killed as a result of this violence. Right. Because I'm just, I'm just a pop culture theologian living in this world. What do I know? Well, Hi. A lot more than our current president. Can we just have a moment for any listeners who have imposter syndrome? We like if there has ever been a time to disavow imposter syndrome, it's now. Like it's like Trump should show all the people of like goodwill and kind hearts that like you gotta believe in yourselves a little bit more because these assholes who shouldn't believe in themselves really, really do. Like my God, they do and they need to not. What is it saying? Like, Lord, give me the confidence as a mediocre white man. 
God grant me the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for anyone who feels like that's an insult listening, you're not going to enjoy our podcast. And also, if you're a white man who is not mediocre, we're not talking about you. So mm-hmm. We had the discussion. Go back, listen to season one. Back. Okay. And if you're mediocre, step up your fucking game. We need allies in this world. Come on, guys. Let's do this. So moving on to a more fun what the fuck of the week. Uh, is almost like a plug for a show, which we don't usually do, but we really It's so to. good. We have to do it. We have to do it. Give Succession. It Succession. Succession. <laughs> uh, the season two finale of Succession was this past uh, Sunday. And, and it was incredible. It was a masterpiece. <laughs> I mean... And we don't want to ruin it. any of it for you. If somehow you are a human in this world who has managed to not have season one or two spoiled, and you're like, what is this show they're talking about? I'm jealous. I'm jealous that you get to watch it for the first time and enjoy it. Um, but it is an amazing show. John, it pretty much is like a a critique of a Murdoch-like family, right? Yeah, it's basically based off of the Murdochs. Right, and and it gives us an inside look at these monolithic forces of power, these families that are dynasties with untouchable power and money um and i think it breaks down the idea of meritocracy like you know we're all told when we're really little if we work really hard we will get to the top we will be successful and it's like that is the biggest myth in the whole world uh (laughs) that bootstrap the like theology is absolute bullshit um but it takes a look at a family that we have a lot of them in this world. I mean, they're the 0.001%, but the 0.001%ers exist and, and navigate power and abuses of power in ways that are above the law and above anything that us average Joes can, can navigate, but they're not more worthy of their money, more worthy of their success. Um, it is a dark and funny uh, show. Like, I don't even know how to do It is definitely a drama, but I will tell you, like, it is a dark, dark comedy as well. I that is the best description I can give. Right? That's kind of how I feel about it. I think the show um, is like a comedy dramedy. I don't know. I'm still debating it. Comedy dramedy. I think yeah. I think that. I think that works. That, that's so, that's kind of where it is. Go watch it, friends. Seriously, you'll thank us later. One hundred percent. So, John, do you want to do you want to just start off since it's the first episode of the season, like right off the bat, like who our purges of the week are? Yeah, definitely. So, um, we always uh, do a purge of the week um, based off of news or whatever we're feeling. Um, and so this week, uh, because Rudy Giuliani is a POS, uh, he's my purge, um, and he's whoa, no longer whoa, a good whoa, whoa, whoa. This is the pop culture theologians, John. If we don't let people know that we have foul fucking mouths, and by, and mostly just me, yeah, like you it's not like fair. Call him a piece of shit. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani is a piece of shit. <laughs> and because he's no longer a level five official or whatever it is in the purge universe, he's no longer like an elected official. He can be purged. Agreed. If, you, if you're not going to, you know, uh, if you're not going to take it on the chin with these subpoenas, like we're over it. We're 100%. Yeah, be a man, Rudy. Be a man, Rudy. My purge of the week. You know what? <laughs> 
my purge of the week is to every man that tells a woman to smile this week. Because I was told three times this week to smile by random people. And it's, it's what? Wednesday? Yeah. It's Wednesday. Got two more days. I've got two more, <laughs> two more days. So y'all, if I'm not smiling, leave me alone. <laughs> leave the women alone on the streets who aren't smiling for you. It is like... Honestly, I saw this thing on Twitter and I wish I could attribute it to the right person, but they said the next Joker movie needs to be about a woman who's told to smile on the street so much she just loses her mind and eventually just like kills everyone. And I was like, yes, I feel that entirely. So. Yeah. Also like, fuck you. Like, no, I don't need to fucking smile for you. This is my face. Like, I don't have resting bitch face. Like, I actually find like that term kind of like obnoxious. I'm just not here to please everyone because they need to be pleased on the street. I will smile for whoever the fuck I want to smile for. So, mm-hmm. um, so before we jump into this actual episode, I did want to say that one of the things we noticed as pop culture theologians is that it seems like this season is covering four very specific topics. So we wanted to identify them right off the bat before we go into the episode. And then at the end of the episode, we can kind of see if that's kind of where, like, we both kind of agree, like, that's where we're going. Mm -hmm. I think we're covering four storylines. One that looks at the purge and government and surveillance. One that looks at the purge and laws and crime that are not violent in nature. Uh, Once again, privilege. White collar crime. White collar crime, privilege, race, uh, race issues, which we've talked about before. And going back to our cult from season one, I think we will again be breaking down PTSD. Oh yeah, especially with that frat boy with issues. Agreed. So I think, John, I think it's time to jump into our first episode of season two breakdown of The Purge. Let's purge. Okay. The Purge is getting political, y'all. I mean, like... It is. I was obsessed with how this episode opened. It was so great because this actress, I was like, what is she coming at? Where are we going with this? And then all of a sudden it's the voice of like the narrator that comes on to announce that the purge is about to happen. So we start in like a new founding fathers, like building audition scene and they are there to like, audition people for the purge right and 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 like the voice for who would announce it and this woman doesn't think it's real right but we all know because we hear her voice like oh they end up using this individual so it's kind of like a pre-shot of like uh maybe years behind you know what we're actually in the timeline of but it was so fabulous well and i think if i think if we're looking at it through the lens of how you watch systems and organizations like the NFFA, the New Founding Fathers, it is incremental change that leads to a full-on takeover, right? So, like, this is such a reminder that, like, at the beginning, they probably were all like, yeah, okay, like, that's, like, what, okay. And the fourth Purge film was the origins of the Purge, and we saw that, like, people were paid to Purge, people were, like, like, it wasn't just, like, an automatic transition, so I did think that was interesting, Um, And you're right, we start off in this NFFA building. Um, We also meet like these like FBI, CIA-esque agents, these like NFFA agents who are monitoring behavior on purge night. Um, 
So this brings us to kind of one of the first things we're going to talk about, right? Which is, John, there's rules on Purge Night. Who would have thought? And they followed those rules and they enforced them. That was, I, I'm telling you, like for such a simple thing, it, like I was texting you, I was like, wait, since when are there rules? Like, what, what, is, what do you mean rules? And like, <laughs> and I couldn't tweet back or text back because I was teaching last night. And I was like, wait, what's going on? John's also on the West Coast in my home state of California. I am in Miami in my adopted state of hell. Um, so we watch it at different times too. So, um, but okay, so there's rules. Uh, and these rules are what people are surveilling. Like these like agents are watching uh, like what people are doing. So like one of the rules that I caught was like, and I remember this a little bit from the Purge films. It's just, it hadn't maybe entered my brain, but like no class five weapons are above. So like go ahead and skin someone alive, but don't use a fucking grenade launcher. Like, right? Exactly. Cause that like, makes yeah. sense. And they have some really crazy technology that they're able to really assess. Like they're free with all guns, but like there's, they actually, and here's the great statement in the purge universe, they actually have some form of gun control. (laughs) Nicely played. Nicely played. Agreed. I was like, I was like a little taken aback. I'm like, so like there is an unethical way to purge apparently, which I was like, the fuck. Okay. Um, but I think that that will get into the current gun discussion. Um, and then your point of surveillance, like I, okay, we talk a lot society-wise, right? Like this week, we've talked a lot about Facebook, right? Um, and it's like ability to sway elections and to do a lot of illegal, illegal things and monitor a lot of shit. And, um, and we all talk about it. Like it's like far removed from us, right? Like, I mean, I have maybe like five friends who put like, fucking tape on their like cameras on their um computers but like fundamentally even people who think they're off the grid no one is off the grid right now but thinking of this like purge world where the nffa are surveilling literally who everyone everyone on they purge have cameras night, everywhere. everyone right the, the amount of like the human force it would take to do that i think is asking me to su- suspend belief that that could be done but then again, I'm like, if you have CCTV everywhere and you have- a You've been fo- to the UK. I mean, they see everything. They do see everything. Um, uh, yes. So like, this is like Love Island, but, you know, purge style. <laughs> Marcy's favorite show, by the way, to our listeners is Love Island. UK. UK. America one's bullshit. The, the British one is like the purge, but for dating. Um, it's my favorite thing in the whole world. But obsessed. I am obsessed. <laughs> but I will say, like, I was thinking like, this is critiquing how much power we've given over in surveillance and how dangerous that is long-term, right? Like first it's just with Facebook, then it's Insta, then it's Twitter, then it's our cams. Then it's like, I mean, I have a security system in my house, not a Stanton security system because I'm not yeah, that bougie. You're not that stupid either. Cause that I'm shit also fails. not that stupid because the Stanton security systems do nothing but fail. But yeah, I think that the, I think that by centering the beginning of this episode on surveillance we are going to get a real inside look at like what it would mean to effectively pull off a government that does a purge. And for folks who are like, why is that important? I'm like, it is important because what they're going to criticize is all the ways that we normal plebes in the real world are already giving up our rights, not to the NFFA, but to to anyone and everyone who asks us for them right now. So Mm -hmm. 
Um, so there's these two women and they're like, they're monitoring behavior on all these cameras. Um, I was like impressed. Cause like, I actually have a three monitor setup for my work computer and like, they have like six monitor setups and I was jealous. Um, I thought three was impressive. And one of the things they talk about is how hard the job is, which that's pretty obvious, right? Like if you have to monitor every purge night and I'm guessing every night that isn't a purge night human behavior and how awful humans can be like that's going to take an emotional toll on you like i mean we've all seen the movie glitter so we've all been there <laughs> we <laughs> yes we have and crossroads if you really want to be shady oh my God, crossroads yes when she falls down the stairs it's too much john it's, it's too, too much. much it's too much it's too much so I thought that when these women were talking about how how hard the job of monitoring um, Purge Night was, it reminded me, do you remember a couple weeks ago, I think it was a New York Times article that came out um, interviewing ICE detention officials complaining about how hard the job is and how hard it is to be judged by everyone and how hard it is to like, like morale is low. And, um, and I was like, then don't fucking work for ICE. It's like, exactly. It's like, we've talked about this constantly. Like yeah. if you're a part of administration or a place that is doing literally illegal shit, like if your boss asks you to find out how much it costs to put alligators in a moat at the border to quit, quit. quit. And if you don't, then you are forever labeled as a person who literally got a quote for alligators for a moat at the border to eat people seeking asylum. Like you can't get away from that. Like that's it. Done. That's it. Done. I will say that I think that the NFFA conversation is going to be more nuanced and complicated. Um, and I will even, I will even give a little bit of it is the ice conversation is complicated as well because uh, ice in and of itself is not complicated. It's, it's a horrific um, kind of development. Um, but immigration law is not like, and, and I say this as a child of immigrants, I'm a first generation immigrant. Um, I'm hoping that the purge is able to look at the nuances of like, these two women work for the NFFA and that is like unforgivable. Right. But also they are monitoring behavior that to surveil that like people don't cross lines. And like, while that is kind of bananas to us and we've joked already, like what lines are there? If you can skin a human alive, like you're participating, they are complicit. But I think that the show is going to dig into what that means. And so, and what it would mean to resist if you are on the inside, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, what is the right kind of purging? And right, what is the right kind of resistance? I know for ICE detention, like, there's been a lot of us who have, like, who do that, the type of resistance work where, like, if you're an ICE detention officer, then take a fucking video and leak it, because we can't get in. We don't know what half these places look like. We don't know what they look like before we're allowed in, like, do it right so I, I think we're gonna get some some resisting nffa fbi cia folks um but you just said something that i think is interesting which is you think the season's gonna look at is there a right way to purge yeah because the purge does not just as and i think the trailer does spoil this like we don't just purge one day a year right the idea that that you could somehow contain purging to one day a year has always been ludicrous and not as in the purge idea is ludicrous but but the purge makes a nod to the fact that it's silly to think that this one night would do anything other than you know do what it does uh so 
exactly right and i think that this is similar like the when we look at like they do kind of like the show showed a lot of really graphic violence it was very like last year it took a while to get into like some of the really serious like murder scenes like this time they're like oh bloop here it is um but i think one of the things they were trying to 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 get us viewers to immediately be like oh yeah this is kind of interesting is to visually give us these violent images and then go back to these cia agents who you know we'll touch on one of them is named esme in a in a couple minutes but like um and to be like somehow these women are supposed to determine which one of these violent gory horrible scenes is is legal and correct and okay and which one is not and like that we see a lot of that i think in some of the controversial topics that we kind of as a country are grappling with right like um we see folks who are like nonsensically pro-life but then if there's a shooting at sandy hook they're like well my guns oops i mean that i mean that's sad violence but it's not wrong violence right like we get there's there is this like discrepancy of uh, like a fallacy of logic there that um that i think the showrunners were highlighting immediately with those like really graphic scenes um 100 percent, 100 percent, right and then, i also call these people their surveillance ladies so i will admit that i did think it was difficult to follow uh who we were watching last night um i had to google uh for for some of them because i was like i'm sorry who are you like i don't know who you are um so i know one of these ladies is esme and i think esme is going to be a big she's going to play a big role in this season but did we get names or anything last night no which i found a bit annoying they will Um, forever be surveillance ladies surveillance ladies so uh esme this agent um or no actually one of the the other agent the younger one um asks esme like why would anyone break laws on a night where like pretty much you can do whatever the fuck you want right and um and it's interesting because like i was thinking about how isn't that the fundamental point of the purge like people the people who are like the purge tells us two things, right? People who would purge on purge night are the type of people who don't give a shit about rules, morality, ethics, and would purge anyway. People who care about rules, laws, ethics, humanity, they're not purging, right? So like the idea that there's these rules and laws that they think they can implement negates human nature which is the person who would purge is not going to be scared of the laws that you are trying to implement on purge night yeah good people are good people bad people are bad people is a little simplistic i think like first harry potter reference um i think most of us are somewhere in between like a dumbledore or a snape where it's like i I'm a good person. I'm a bad person. Like I'm a person who makes decisions, but fundamentally the, there are people who can hurt other people and not feel empathy and sympathy. And so there's like that group. Then there's the people who feel empathy and sympathy who could never do it. Well, we're seeing this with, Hey man, I'm just trying to sleep on purge night, dude. Right. And we'll, and we'll talk about him. 
We'll yeah. definitely talk about him. Also, uh, listeners, if you um, have not listened to our podcast before, um, you are required to do a shot of your choice of alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage every time Marcy makes a Harry Potter reference. Which is a lot, yo. So get so, ready. So what we learned from this agent, Esme, who, by the way, is played by Paola Nunez, is like, if you even go 30 seconds past the sirens. A second. A second. Like, you broke the law and, like, you will be executed. So this brings us back to season one, doesn't it? Like, this reminds me of Miguel. Like, Miguel technically, like, now I'm wondering, did Miguel make it past that purge? Because if they're doing surveillance and they have cameras everywhere, they would know that he committed a crime past the purge sirens. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah so i mean that's a little bit of story disconnect i don't i mean i definitely think that we were supposed to think miguel got away with it and was able to get away exactly right but then um going back to esme um which this is where i think like with this is if we're looking at narrative um direction this is i think the direction this one plot line is going to take so esme is watching this like cctv footage of purge and sees a close friend of hers being targeted and purged, right? Mm-hmm. And her little like assistant associates like don't get emotionally involved. But here's the thing: Esme is a human being. If I saw you being purged, John, by some randos on a camera, first off, I'd have a nervous breakdown and I'd go save you. But if I couldn't, right, I would then probably have a vendetta to find out who the fuck purged you. Yeah. I mean, especially when you have that power of the government at your disposal. Right. If you can search every camera, if you can do all the investigative work to figure out, like, wait, why did you purge my friend? Like, she's like a college professor. Like, why are you doing this? Um, So I think that is where this season, uh, this storyline is going, which is what does it mean to have the surveillance? And then what does it mean to question, like, it she was not killed with weapons she wasn't allowed to be killed but like could you abuse your power to figure out why someone would do it i think that's where we're going but talk to me about this the bank robbery our 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 second plot plot line so our second plot point is led by hot robber dilf that's what i'm calling him um and so if you're an actor, if you're one of the actors listening to the show, like just get ready because like we had some major fantasies last season. So, and, well, maybe I had some major fantasies. Okay. <laughs> I really wanted to join the Matron Saints like hardcore, hardcore. I'm still waiting Purge TV for my Matron Saints jacket. Yes. Yes. So basically we switch gears and we're seeing like this huge bank robbery because they're not doing anything illegal. All crime is legal above like a certain felony level and they're robbing a bank because they want to get some money. Right. So this is kind of going back to that theme of which really talk about like financial gain law. You what said Robert, do. Robert, but we're talking about Ryan, right? The lead bank robber, the lead bank robber. Yes. Hot like, daddy Dilf. Played by Max Martini. John mm-hmm. clearly has the hots for you. Yes, definitely. Um, so, you know, it's like bank robbery legal. The answer is yes. And they even, Esme, who watches it, notices like the masks they wear block their face. They are illegal on every other type of instance if you're going to rob a bank off purge night, but, but they're not, not, purge night. But not on purge night. So um, 
uh, Ryan, the uh, the name of the character, is leading the bank robbers. Um, he's hot robber um, on line one. Hello. Um, and basically one of the dudes from his crew, Tommy, um, goes rogue. And we can assume he'll probably be hunted down for the rest of the season. Because this is where we were talking about when the rules, um, you see Esme at the end after the sirens go. Um, his foot was literally right on the edge of the bank still so he was technically still in the bank and what he did is illegal then even though all the stuff that was done before wasn't he now did something illegal so what does this really mean now in off purge right so tommy who's played by jonathan medina i think will spend the rest of the season running from the nffa uh or he's literally done for within the next episode and we follow uh, Ryan, the bank robber, and this crew, uh, and kind of navigate what the purge means. Like, for so long, we thought of the purge as just a night to kill, but it is a night of lawlessness. And, like, I was kind of, I felt stupid. I was like, I hadn't really considered bank robbing. Um, but did you also see, though, and this is a comment to like the financial gains and how banks, even on purge night, will still try to screw the common man is that they didn't have like hundred dollar bills in there is this like dollar bills i did see that and i think here's what's interesting is for so many of us who have like watched all kind of everything within the purge universe most of i mean we joke around we have our purges of the week like i maybe have a list of four or five people who i would not feel bad purging but like we're like i mean like i would never purge right would i rob a fucking bank yes 100 percent (laughs) and like the fact that it had not crossed my mind that there are other crimes which I would a hundred percent break like I have student loans I have medical debt I like I want to cruise like a golden girl for the rest of my life like like this to me was a moment where it's like I haven't considered what my moral lines are on a lawless night past the fact that I probably wouldn't murder anyone if it wasn't you know the four people on my aria list um, but I would 100% rob a bank. I would 100% break into Sally Mae and delete everyone's debt. I would burn down like an HR department at like my job. <laughs> I'm just saying like, it was interesting to challenge, like, I think like not to quote Snooky, but like, I'm a good person. And then I'm like, wait, maybe I'm not. I mean, maybe my, maybe my baseline is I won't kill someone, but like, I don't know about you, John, but there's plenty of other shit I would do. Does that mean I have to put myself in the purge world that night? Yes. What, what level of like debt would push me into doing it? And then I was like, there's that socioeconomic critique, which is I had always said I would just lock myself in a fucking house and never go out. But like, this is real honesty. I have student debt and I have a shit ton of medical debt. At what number? is the risk of going outside worth maybe the financial freedom I could buy my family. Yeah. Rich people wouldn't have to consider that. They could just sit behind their Stanton security systems and be maybe like, maybe if it works, like if it works, they, they don't have to consider that. But like, I, I have a number that I would definitely be like, I guess I risk it tonight. Say goodbye to Brent's put on my mask and be like, I'm heading for Wells Fargo. Join the matron <laughs> saints and get on that jean jacket. Right, and head to Wells Fargo's or Sally Mae in the Baptist Hospital. Like, there's like it. It was just interesting, and it was a reminder that like 
the idea that like I am above illegality is laughable like the like it's laughable there's not like a mom whose kid is super sick who can't afford our healthcare system yeah the fuck she's gonna grab an ak-47 put on a mask and go try to get some money to pay for her kids like bills like so that was just like a whole sector of the world that i hadn't thought of that the bank robbery brought into like full clarity they're obviously robbing banks to rob banks right but like on the average joe person i was like oh shit maybe i would participate on purge night and not just at halloween horror nights but like for reals mm-hmm. yeah it was interesting definitely interesting yeah i mean we all discover like what does it take for us to like do certain things i mean that's why i think the comment on like sex work has been really re- like it's never gone away but you know when people sit there and they tell you what to do with your own body is, is sex work legitimate work and all these conversations that we're seeing reignited i mean what do people do to have control over their own futures right right and and i, I do want to clarify like for some folks sex work is enjoyable work and like no reason to judge it and it's it could be an actual chosen career path for some people sex work is survival right and there's nothing wrong with that as long as it's not coerced um, we would prefer for them not like if they feel like it's just survival and not enjoyable work that they have other avenues. And for some people it is coerced. Like it's just overarching kind of like um, it's a, it's different for different folks, but, but yeah, it's just, you know, like the idea had not crossed my mind that I could actually be part of the purge world in a much darker way. So so let's move on to, so we've got the bank robbers, we've got our NFFA CIA surveillance folks. Let's move on to our third, what we are considering plot line. And we're, frat, we're, go, the we're going- The frat boys with issues. No, first versus first, we're going to go back to stance and security and bougie houses. Oh yes, the boot, the, oh, this is the, hey man, I'm just trying to sleep on purge night, dude. Right, right. Got it. Um, <laughs> which... I mean, I don't know how anyone gets a good night's sleep on. If you don't have any known enemies, I envy you. But, like, I think the list of folks who would purge me is long, which means I would not sleep. Uh, definitely wouldn't sleep with a stance and security system. It has failed in every film. It has failed all over season one. Uh, but everyone keeps getting them. So uh, Ethan Hawke is still making that money. Um, yeah, probably. So we've got this couple in bed. Um, we have Marcus, played by the always amazing Derek Luke, and Michelle, played by Rochelle Eitz. Um, Hopefully I'm saying that right. And they're having that awful, awful talk for couples who are listening of, like, should we have kids in our very, very secure stance and security house? Um, and the answer is no, don't have kids. No, I'm kidding. Like, uh, kids are great. I just don't want any. But um, <laughs> Mark... <laughs> I mean, like, they're good for, I mean, I love kids. But you want to like, have kids, right? I mean, I'm, I'm old. Like, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> oh, so we have two spinsters on the phone. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Spinster party hotline calling. John, hold, <laughs> can I take, can I hold this call for a second? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Marcus is telling Michelle in, in their very bougie, comfortable bed in this multi-million dollar mansion that like having kids would complicate things, truth, and that he had a really hard childhood and like he kind of doesn't want to put a kid through it. Um, he 
he's clearly alluding to the fact that this bougie elegant lifestyle that he lives in now is not the life he grew up in um and you know that he wouldn't want his kid to deal with even having moved up in the world what he dealt with as a kid and then suddenly massive shocker like we said his stance in security system fails it just fails it just just fails it's just like bloop and then I'm thinking, if everything's illegal on Purge Night, you could pay someone at Stanton to make the security system not work. So yeah. security systems are pretty dumb because all you have to do is pay someone off. So, like, I would get a job at Stanton Security System for Purge Night and take, take bribes, right? So it looks like Marcus is the target of someone who wants to purge him. Well, racially targeted. That's kind of to go back to like. I thought, yes. I thought it 100% the show was implying this is a very white neighborhood and someone is targeting this very successful man of color. Um, They don't manage to actually kill him. He goes through a lot, but he lives. And he finds one of their phones. Finds one of their phones, which I think sets up the rest of the season, which is what would it be like to survive a hit and then have to fucking wonder who in my sphere, who in my circle did it? Like, and wait till the next purge night. And wait until the next purge night. Cause like, obviously these people went through a lot of trouble to, to make me a hit. So like the, what, what would it mean to survive a purge hit? And not one where it's like, I'm on the street and like someone grabs me and kills me, but where it's clearly a very well thought out, financially backed hit. Um, and I, you know, I'm going to say we're in a primarily white, wealthy neighborhood. Someone clearly wants him out. Uh, so I think we'll be following that for this season, which I think is going to be super, super interesting. Um, the show has done really good stuff on racial inequality and also embedded bias and racism and how racism and gun culture are connected. Um, you know, there's like a very famous kind of like saying that like if all people of color, if all black and brown people bought guns the way white people got guns, uh, guns would be outlawed by tomorrow, right? Like if there's a right way to purge, the U.S. has a right gun owner kind of perception, so, um, so yeah, I'm interested to follow this, this, um, now we can move on to you. Clearly what is your favorite storyline? Uh, I'm not saying I was into it. <laughs> so we meet Ben who's played by Joel Allen. So you'll also have to tweet out your love for Joel Allen, who I think if I understood it correctly, tell me if I'm wrong is the first time that he is old enough to go purge. So he's of legal age. Yes. Um, Which for me brought up a question of, does that apply to killing and purging? So like, can you not purge people until they're a certain age? Because that's not the impression I got in the first purge film, right? Because like the, the daughter and the son in the first purge film in the house, like they were fair game for murdering. Um, so it seems a little unfair that you'd have to be like 21 to purge, but you can hundred percent purge like a 10 year old. Mm-hmm. So I think that is actually like a discrepancy in world building, um, that it, it bugged me a little bit, but I will suspend belief because we need these frat boys to be enjoying this newfound freedom so they can play a game of dare. 
that um, it goes really well. <laughs> yeah, it goes really well for both of them. It goes very well for both of them. It leads to Ben and his buddy, like, pretty much maybe regretting having ever purged at all. Yeah, because they get taken to, like, this area called the Suicide Bridge, and then they go exploring even more, and they are just, find out that some of his friends losing their lives, and it just comes down to them witnessing, like, this woman being trapped. Oh, it's awful. And then, um, it's it's really triggering. It does have, um, and then one, uh, Ben is ripped into the purge area and the other guy's trapped on the outside and he leaves his friend so like you think that he sees him like oh he's gonna die i'm never gonna see this guy again right well you're wrong because basically what happens is is after the guy that was purging i'm wearing a mask that said god on it right and he kills this woman then he's about to kill ben and ben grabs a knife and kills him and then just like murders the heck out of him so a couple thoughts. One, did you see that I uh, I was wrong on Twitter? Um, listeners, this is one of those great moments where uh, <laughs> I get to um, annotate and comment on Marcy being wrong. So no, I did not mention or see when you were wrong on Twitter. I was 100% wrong on Twitter. So uh, the image of the god Purger is famous from the second Purge film, from Purge Anarchy, which is my favorite Purge film. Um, so I thought we were getting a backstory on this purger and I was very excited. And I even like tweeted out like finally a fucking backstory. Uh, very excited, whatever. Um, I was wrong. No backstory. <laughs> uh, he's dead. Um, and while I'm, sh- I think, you know, people can make the argument that that is maybe a very popular purge mask. Uh, you're wrong. It is an iconic purge mask. That is the same purger from purge anarchy um so so yeah i was wrong but um i think this storyline is really exciting i think it is meant to parallel the cult storyline so this is where we're going to be digging into the meaty weight of what ptsd would look like in the purge world and guilt so revenge and revenge if revenge happens right so here's these two kids here's these kids who are like let's go purge it's so exciting like it's like doing the epcot drink around the world except very violent and um they live to regret it i think both of them will live to regret it one what does it mean to leave a person behind if if they survive right like like john if i left you my god i hope you died because if i have to if i have to see you the next day and be like i'm sorry bro like I just I ran like that is a complicated relationship thing to work through right like <laughs> you, got, it's the, you ain't coming back from that <laughs> like you you are probably not gonna come back from it um but I think also um the idea that like we can regret our participation in in violent and toxic culture and that PTSD can come from that Um, We talked a lot about this with the cult in season one that like it can be very difficult to deal with your guilt of being complicit in a system of harm. And sometimes it takes doing harm to, to realize that you've done it. Right. So like for Ben, like now that he survived a purge, but had to witness horrific things was tortured, like, what does it mean to wake up the next day? Like, you're not proud of yourself, but you're going to have PTSD. Like, you're going to struggle. Like, what does it look like to anticipate the next purge night if you've survived one? 
which we talked about in season one. We're like, what is, how do these people even like live the other 364 days of the year? Because like, I would think you have severe and significant trauma from having to survive this year to year, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So I think this is where we'll be discussing PTSD. And I'm, as a, uh, take a shot, even though it's not Harry Potter, as a cult survivor, I know what this is like. Uh, I know what it's like to live with the guilt of having participated in bullshit, but also what it to have witnessed significant amount of trauma and to have to work through it. Um, and to also have to leave people behind. Like I have left people behind and uh, in, in my past life as a cult member. And like, there are days where it still hurts and I feel awful about it. And I still can't come to terms with whether or not I have failed them or not, or whether it was survival. And so I'm totally here for it which is the end of this episode, an amazing first episode. Yeah, it was really good. I think, and because basically we get to the end of the purge night and now we're into this whole world of like- So this whole season isn't in a purge night. No, and it's like in between. So like you have this guy that wants to like totally find out who tried to kill him and people want revenge and you have a person with resources. I mean, there's going to be a lot of discussions here. John, if I ever show up dead, it was Pope Benedict. Got it. Deal. I'm glad she's we got it. Actually, she's a nasty lady. It's probably Cardinal Dolan, and she's even nastier. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so, so that's it. That's the end of this episode. Uh, that's our breakdown of this episode. A great, great start to a new season. Super excited. John, you mentioned that we would be covering a lot coming up. Uh, so... By coincidence, this happened without us planning it. Um, we had been very excited to announce that we would be covering. Um, ooh, my brain is his like, dark materials. His dark materials on HBO, which um, is one of my favorite sets of books. It is like the atheist response to C.S. Lewis's *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. As an amazing cast. Um, we were under the impression that it would be coming out in January. It is not. It is coming out in November. So. We're actually going to double up. Uh, yeah, comes out November 4th. Yeah, we're going to double up this quarter, which is going to be really stressful on our part, but also really exciting because we have been talking for a very long time about covering children's literature in particular because it's my specialty, um, but also because we just fucking love the material, the dark materials. Um, so, so there's a lot coming our way. Westworld is coming back, which... Um, technically Westworld is the first thing we ever covered as pop culture theologians. We would blog about it, not, not podcast about it. Um, so, that's yeah. going back in 2020. So that would definitely be a fun time. That's going to be a really fun time. Uh, there's and his whole- dark materials will get us right through Christmas. It seems like. I think, yeah, I think it gets us right through Christmas, which is very, very exciting. Um, so, so we're glad that you joined us keep listening definitely revisit some of our old seasons follow us on on social and then we will be here next week to cover episode two happy purging Ah.